One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Chapter 2. Dobby's Warning. Harry managed not to shout out but it was a close thing. The little creature on the bed had large, bat-like ears and bulging green eyes the size of tennis balls. Harry knew instantly that this was what had been watching him out of the garden hedge. I'm Casper Takail. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Before we start, Vanessa, big, exciting news. I know. This week, we're announcing a live show. I know. Ladies and gentlemen, a live show. You can come join us and be with us as we record a very special episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. It'll be at the Middle East in Cambridge, Massachusetts, a hometown show for us. It'll start at 7.30 p.m. on Tuesday, January 24th. You can buy tickets and find more information on our website at harrypottersacredtext.com. Tickets will go live for pre-sale at noon Eastern time on the 2nd of November and will go on sale generally at noon Eastern on the 3rd of November. So make sure you go to harrypottersacredtext.com and join us as we record a very special episode, hopefully with you with us. We're so excited to meet all of you. So yay. There's all this new stuff in my life because of the podcast. There are stickers and there's new stationery and there's just there's stuff that comes with running this small project. And home base for the podcast is my apartment. My apartment's small. So I bought a small set of drawers to, you know, manage all our podcast stuff. And I love to pride myself on the fact that I am pretty handy. I can, like, put things together and I manage my life by myself. And I tried to put together this set of Ikea drawers for three hours by myself and made literally zero progress. I would put something up and like snap it in. And then when I did the next step, it would fall. Eventually, I decided that this was not going to go well. So I live with 24 Harvard students, some of whom are theoretically quite bright. So I asked some of them to join me, and six of them with, like, total alacrity and joy and hilarity joined. And we hung out, and we had so much fun. And really just the two engineering students did it, and it even took them over an hour and was really frustrating. But it ended up being this really, like, joyful, fun thing. And it just reminds me that as soon as you let go of control and your sense of identity, so much good can come. I had wanted to conquer this set of drawers. I had wanted to control this evening. And as soon as I let go of that, this beautiful thing happened. 
And I was reminded of that in this chapter because everybody is trying to control everybody and it just fails miserably every time. Dobby's trying to control Harry by like withholding letters and Harry's trying to control Dobby and get him quiet and Vernon is trying to control Harry by locking him. It works zero percent of the time. And so there has to be a time in which stepping up and taking ownership and controlling things is worthwhile. But in this chapter, I think we see how control is an illusion. And as soon as we let go, good things come. Oh, Vanessa, we are so similar. As one control freak to another, I feel your pain. And I'm glad that it worked out. IKEA furniture is hard. You know what else is hard? A 30-second recap. Not for me. Usually. It was for me last week for whatever reason, but I'm going to do better this time. You're back on your A-game? I am. All right. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. So Harry walks into his bedroom and Dobby is sitting on the bed. And he's like, I don't know who you are, but Harry is very polite to Dobby. Dobby is very moved by the fact that Harry is very polite to him. Dobby tells Harry, you can't go back to Hogwarts. And Harry's like, shh, there's a really important thing going on downstairs. And Dobby is like, I'll be quiet, but you can't go back to Hogwarts. And by the way, I've been stealing your letters. And Harry is like, what? Ron and Hermione do love me? And then he's like, but I'm going back to Hogwarts. And so Dobby crashes Petunia's pudding, which ruins the whole deal. And then an owl delivers something and... I didn't even get to the fact that Ron comes to get him. Well, you know, it really is a minor detail. (laughs) I think on some level I pity you for doing so poorly last season. So I'm throwing it. This is just like your gift. Yeah, you're welcome. On your marks, get set, go. So the person who was on the bed is Dobby. Dobby's a house elf for a, for a family that we don't know yet. Um, and um, threatens to, tells Harry that he's in danger and needs to stay at home, shouldn't go back to Hogwarts. And then um, there's a, Dobby, oh God, um, Dobby p- pudding, smash, letter from Hogwarts saying you're not allowed to do, letter from Ministry of Magic saying you're not allowed to do magic. Um, Vernon's like, oh my God, I'm going to lock you up. Locks him up. Um, Harry is being fed through a cat flap. It's horrific. And then goes to sleep and then suddenly has a dream. And there is Ron Weasley with a car. It didn't look good at the beginning, <laughs> which brought me a lot of joy. And then you pulled it back together, you jerk. I turned it around. You did. Everybody go online and vote for Casper one last time for the season at HarryPotterSacredText.com. Are you coming back next week with an A game? I'm coming back next week with it pre-written. I'm going to cheat. <laughs> so Casper, the most obvious place of control in this chapter is that Dobby is trying to control Harry. He's tried all summer to manipulate Harry into not wanting to go back to Hogwarts. And now he's trying to just tell Harry, do not go back to Hogwarts. I'm wondering if sometimes control is therefore a good thing. Dobby has really good intentions with his attempt at controlling. Yes, it's such an interesting question because – Dobby has been, you know, preventing access to the letters that Ron, Hermione and Hagrid have been sending, trying to influence Harry to make him not want to go back to Hogwarts. And we, you know, we think kind of kindly of Dobby in this situation because we know he's trying to do it for a good reason. But in terms of what he's doing, stopping letters from getting to Harry, that's exactly the same as what Vernon was doing in the opening chapters of book one. And we can read a difference in terms of why they're doing it. Vernon, you know, doesn't want to be pulled into the magical world, which is a frightening, unknown world for him. And Dobby doesn't want Harry to be hurt. But I feel like there might be another reason somewhere there. What do you think? I think that Dobby associates Harry with hope. We know that Dobby is being oppressed by his owners. And we find out later that those are the Malfoys. And we know that Harry and beating Voldemort has helped sort of take some of the power away from the Malfoys. So I think that 
you know, Dobby doesn't want to see sort of a hero of his get hurt. And there is that mildly selfish intention there. We know that Dobby is different from most house elves, that he really prizes his freedom. And so this beacon of hope is at risk. I mean, this is interesting to me because it might be that Dobby sees Harry as a strategy for Dobby's own freedom, you know, down the road. But but he doesn't want Harry to die because he's worried that his own freedom is at stake if Harry is lost. Which is sort of a beautiful idea, right? That our freedom is bound up in one another. But the opposite of that is that, you know, he's going to imprison Harry (laughs) because he's in prison himself, which is not ideal. So all of these actions sort of out in the world that we admire, what is the line between what is control and what is activism or what is control and what is trying? The only thing I can think is that with control, you're not admitting vulnerability. You're not inviting other people into the conversation. If I was trying to control someone to fall in love with me, I would manipulate them somehow and be willing to lie in order to get them. Whereas if I wanted to have a real relationship with someone, I would like tell them about my feelings and right. But we try to control each other all the time. If I take my dating analogy further, you try to look your best on the first few dates and you put your best foot forward. And all of these things are an attempt to control one another. And I'm wondering where we cross a line into oppressively trying to control somebody else. I think you're right, Vanessa. And I think the difference between control and and that kind of influence or trying to, you know, show the best side of yourself is also about the power dynamics that are in the relationship. You know, Harry knows he's not allowed to do any magic and Dobby has this ability to do magic and won't get the blame for it, as we see. And so there's something about, you know, if if you're exercising control over someone else because you have more power, that just feels different to me than if I, there's something in that which I want to explore. In the same way that, you know, Vernon is exercising power over Harry because he's older and stronger and, you know, owns the house and all that kind of thing. And Harry is trying to exercise control over Vernon by saying, I can do magic in the house. Right? That's that's his counterweight. But I think we can't blame Harry for that in the same way that we can blame Vernon for exercising his control because he has more he has more power. And I think that's why your note on activism is so interesting because often, you know, activism takes place where someone who has less power is trying to exercise the strands of influence that they have over the more dominant power. That to me feels less about, you know, controlling or manipulating, but but really just survival and, and trying to, you know, make the most of a difficult situation. So we like control when we're punching up, but we don't when we're punching down, right? When you're sort of using your control to keep someone down, we're anti-control. But when you're trying to take down a bully or rise yourself up through control, it's something that we respect. It's like, I can't blame you with the IKEA furniture because IKEA has control over you with bad (laughs) instructions and not enough of those little turny things that you need. (laughs) Casper, I love where this is going, and it makes me think about the Ministry of Magic because the Ministry comes in and exercises control. They end the evening, right? They ruin the evening for Vernon. We're not getting a second home in Mallorca, everyone. And they punish Harry for doing magic, even though Harry didn't really do magic. 
And something that is so interesting to me is that Harry has accidentally been doing magic his entire life. And so if he accidentally did magic here, the ministry is suddenly punishing him now. And so to me, this speaks to the arbitrariness of control of sometimes you run a red light and there's a camera and it catches you. Sometimes you run a red light and there's a police officer and they catch you. And sometimes you run a red light and nothing happens, right? And I feel like There's just an arbitrariness to the success of control. And I think the fact that there's always that optimism that it might work this time is sort of what keeps us going and trying to control things, even though it fails like 99% of the time. I want to reflect on what you're bringing up with the Ministry of Magic in the fact that this is happening in a private home. This is a domestic space. A muggle home. A muggle home where, you know, this feels like it's it's a real infringement nearly of, of people's rights. We know surely that underage magic is not allowed to happen. Surely they could tell this is house elf magic, first of all. But secondly, this reminds me of the kind of email snooping, you know, infringing on people's personal rights to freedom, potentially, in a way that you know, reminds me of kind of Stasi Germany or something. There are all sorts of illegal things that kids can do in the house that would be inappropriate for the police to be like surveilling on, right? So I understand why there has to be some regulation of underage magic, but I also think I agree with you. It's completely disturbing the extent to which the ministry is trying to control this and the the haphazardness and the lack of precision that they use. If you are going to invade someone's home as the Ministry of Magic, you would think that you would try to be able to tell the difference between house elf magic and child magic. And and also, if you're trying to help build a culture of responsibility, this kind of, like, let me fire off that email straight away without even asking what the context was. Maybe someone was in danger, right? That there's no sense of process about trying to figure out what happened, how do we make sure that we have a different situation next time. I think that's the bit that riles me up most about institutions of power is that there's no curiosity about context. This really is speaking to me of the conversation, the national conversation we are having around policing, especially around juvenile policing. But also what you just said, I think, goes back to our original question. I think you've sort of solved it for us, Casper, which is that control with curiosity is helpful and control where you think you know everything is not. So if you are trying to control the choices that your child makes but are curious and doing it in dialogue with them and trying to nudge them in a certain direction, I think that that is helpful. But if you are trying to control someone on high without any curiosity, I think that that is when it becomes just objectively troubling. Absolutely. And you know what I love about that point, Vanessa, is that Harry models that exactly in this chapter. You know, he sees this completely unfamiliar creature suddenly in his bedroom. It's like, what on earth is going on? I I would have been like, get the heck out. Absolutely. Who are you? Get out of my house. And he is so conscious not only to ask, what are you? No, no, no. He says, who are you? Because he's curious. In that moment, it's like amazing. He's like, I wanted to ask what you are, but that would be rude. Who are you? Right? It's like an amazing moment of self-awareness. So even though Harry's attempt at control fails, there's a relationship underneath it now, which means that there's an opportunity for something beautiful to come of it in the future. Right. So curiosity is a necessary element of control. Even when the control part fails, the curiosity part is going to pay off. Exactly. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I don't think that we can leave this segment without talking about the worst abuse and control that the Dursleys enact upon Harry, which is saying something, which happens in this chapter. They literally lock him up in this room. They put bars on the windows. They only are feeding him like very little. They only let him go to the bathroom twice a day. I mean, it's just the level of control that they are enacting. It is an attempt at total oppression. And then in like such stark juxtaposition to that, we see Harry, who is just embodying humanity. He has so little food and he still splits it with Hedwig. And in Judaism, there is a rule that you are always to feed your animals before you feed yourself. And there are two reasons for the rule. One is that it's a long-term investment in yourself. You feed your animals first because even if you're hungry today, in the long run, those animals are going to feed you and your family and your community. And then the second reason why you do that is simply for humane reasons, right? You have to make sure that your animals can eat. They are innocent. It's not their fault that you're hungry, right? So you always feed your animals first. And Harry, I think, is feeding Hedwig for exactly those two reasons of one, to maintain a long-term relationship with Hedwig, and two, just because he can't stand to watch Hedwig starve, even though he himself is starving. I just think there's so much humanity in Harry, which just shows to me that even when people are totally trying to control and oppress you, that the human spirit finds ways out of that. Yes, and it's amazing that he has so little control here in the muggle world or actually at Hogwarts in the magical world and yet still makes space for exactly this kind of generosity and kindness and even though this world is oppressing him in a way, his little zone, which he can control, is one of, of goodness and, and kindness. 
I love that. It speaks to me of sort of the inability for total oppression of one another, that it's something that's really hard for me to grapple with. I have a resistance to saying that people who are imprisoned in any way still have the ability to fight oppression in their minds and hearts because I want to so validate their suffering that I don't want to say, but they can keep their spirits strong. But we do see that fact again and again, that the human spirit finds ways to triumph in places of oppression. And I just think that there's something so beautiful and so human about saying, I still control my heart and my mind, even if you control my body. Let's keep track of that because that question is not going away. Vanessa, there's one more thing I want to point out, which is that control doesn't just happen over others, but there's so much self-control in this chapter. I mean, from everyone from Petunia and her fake laugh and how she's kind of presenting herself to the Masons, how Dobby controls his emotion when he meets Harry Potter and Harry is so generous and, and allows him to sit down like he's overcome by emotion. And perhaps most interestingly, how Harry has to control his own emotion when he thinks of Hermione and when he thinks of Ron. In the text it says, but he stopped quickly because thinking about Hermione was painful. And so you can see him kind of managing, controlling his own emotional state as he encounters things that are painful. And so I I just don't want to lose sight of that because that's an element of control that I think so many of us are, are living with every day of controlling the things that, you know, are happening on internally. I wonder, and I I don't have an answer, so this is just maybe a final wondering, is that if self-control can also be negative unless you are trying to control yourself with a little bit of curiosity. Like, why am I avoiding this thought? Is it because I'm really hurt by her, right? Like, I wonder if even self-control could be benefited by curiosity. I love that. I'm going to I'm going to try and keep notice of that when I when I'm controlling my emotions like what's what's behind that Casper? What's actually going on here? <laughs> Self-chaplaining. So Casper, usually we randomly pick a passage, but this week there was something that we didn't get to in our theme. So I've picked a sentence for us to do for Lectio. Are you okay with that? Yes. Oh, you're sweet. I'm totally cheating. So the sentence is, it's at almost the very end of the chapter. People goggled through the bars at him as he lay, starving and weak on a bed of straw. So Casper, can you tell us where this is on our stage one of Lectio Divina, what is literally happening here? So we're at the end of the chapter and um, Harry is sleeping. He's dreaming and he's dreaming that he is kind of in a zoo, that people are watching him. You know, people are goggling at him through the bars and the bars, of course, are also on his window. So we're partly in dream state, partly in, in reality in Harry's bedroom. The next level is to think allegorically. So what are the kind of images and, you know, other words or stories that this sentence reminds you of? People goggled through the bars at him as he lay starving and weak on a bed of straw. What do you see allegorically happening? I see two things allegorically happening. The first is that it reminds me of Slaughterhouse-Five, where there are aliens who look at humans in a zoo. 
which, you know, when I read that for the first time, it was like a revelatory metaphor for me of, you know, sort of who is looking at whom and, you know, whom is oppressing whom. Um, So one allegorically reminded me of that. But then, I mean, a little boy on a bed of straw really reminds me of Jesus in the manger. Oh, wow. Do you not? Oh, I hadn't thought of that. I was thinking about fairy tales, you know, about princesses being locked up in a tower and, you know, all they have is straw and particularly that... Rumpelstiltskin? Yes, exactly. Rumpelstiltskin, who turns straw into gold. But I hadn't seen that Jesus comparison, who also is, you know, starving and weak. Gosh, that's cool. What else do we see allegorically? I mean, the other thing that I'm remembering is that Harry goes to the zoo in book one, Mm -hmm. of course, and has this really interesting interaction with the snake who is, again, Harry is curious, right? He's, you know, saying like, where did you grow up? And he's, do you miss Brazil? Do you miss Brazil? And he's like, I don't even speak Portuguese. But again, here, you know, Harry is being reminded of that zoo experience, maybe of being ogled at, just like, you know, people watch animals in a zoo. I'm sorry, this is the most exciting step two conversation we've ever had, because traditionally in Lectio Divina, the allegories can refer to other parts of the Bible. And we are getting to the point where we have so treated Harry Potter sacred that we are about to do this. We're in chapter two of book two, but this is reminding us of chapter two in book one. Whoa. Where Harry has so thoroughly empathized with the snake that the glass literally vanishes between them. They are like the same, right? And here, I feel like that is so indelibly impressed upon him that he is now dreaming as if he is the snake, as if he is also a creature in a zoo. I'm tingling, Vanessa. And we're going to find out so much more about Harry's relationship with snakes in this book, in Chamber of Secrets. We find out later in this book that he can speak partial tongue, which means he can speak to snakes. And But anyway, I'm, the allegory is to Harry. It's back to Harry. What's so interesting is that this is a nightmare of Harry. If Harry was locked in a cage... Harry is a very resistant person, right? He would be resisting this in some way. And so I think that this is Harry's worst nightmare is that eventually he would just give up. Mm -hmm. Eventually, just being starved and alone, he would just lose the desire to fight, which I think goes back a little bit. This is sort of answering my thought from earlier, which is I have this resistance to believing that the human spirit can persevere. And I think that Harry's biggest fear is that he will be abused to the point that he can no longer do it. His spirit breaks. Yeah. Yeah. And he just lies there starving and weak. So let's go to step three, Vanessa, which is thinking about how The experiences in our own lives map on to what we're reading here. So people goggled through the bars at him as he lay starving and weak on a bed of straw. What does this remind you of from the experiences you've had? So I fast once a year as part of the Jewish tradition to fast. And, you know, I'm not religious in sort of any traditionally recognizable way, but this is very important to me. Like this is a very important tradition that I really enjoy being a part of. And part of it is because I like to be reminded that at around four o'clock, I become incapable of being kind. I've been fasting. You start fasting at around 630 at night. And so it takes me about 22 hours. And I am incapable of coherent thought. I am incapable of generosity. My blood sugar just drops so low that everything that I pride myself on being gets taken away from me. 
And that exact moment is why I fast. It's to remind myself that there are forms of oppression that make being your best self hard. And it's a way to be grateful for the rest of the year that it is a choice that I do that to myself once a year. And most of the time I get to walk around with the opportunity to be my best self. So that's what it reminds me of is just the power of that ritual of fasting. What about you, Casper? You know what this reminds me of, Vanessa, is when I'm sick and I'm not at home, particularly with like a stomach bug and I I just, you know, lying there on straw, which is uncomfortable at the best of times and, and weak and starving. You know, I haven't been able to eat because I'm throwing up or you know, I remember experiences as a child where I'd get sick and I was on holiday or I remember one time I was at a friend's house and I, you know, I was too sick to go home. So I stayed overnight and I just... It was like not not being in my own space with people who loved me, even though, you know, wonderful friend, wonderful friend's parents. It just wasn't the same. And so I'm I'm reminded in this short passage of the just the extra layer of discomfort when we're sick and we're not in our own place, just like Harry is not at Hogwarts, which now at this point is his home. So, yeah, ugh, poor Harry. So stage four of Lectio. What does this sentence call you to? Will you read it for me one more time, Vanessa? Yes, my love. People goggled through the bars at him as he lay, starving and weak, on a bed of straw. Oh, gosh. You know what that immediately reminds me of is pictures of people who live in poverty and the way that it's presented to me to look at, you know? Like, I'm thinking of adverts of... You know, the traditional ones where people have flies in their eyes. I'm thinking of the kind of famine in Ethiopia in the 80s. Just those images, which, you know, they certainly pull up my heartstrings, but they're so demeaning for the people who are presented, maybe sometimes without permission or all sorts of other kind of ethical quandaries. So it it makes me not want to goggle at people who are suffering. Um, I don't want to look away from the pain, but I, I don't want to goggle at it like Harry feels goggled at in this sentence. How about you, Vanessa? What does this what does this fourth stage of Lectio call you to do? Casper, what you said was so beautiful. <laughs> it distracted me from trying to think of something I'm called to. Can you read it for me one more time, please? Yes. People goggled through the bars at him as he lay, starving and weak, on a bed of straw. Thank you for reading it again, because I I was just picturing myself laying on the floor there. <laughs> And I think that being looked upon is something that I feel very acutely by being a congregational leader and by living with students and sort of being a youngish woman in both of those spaces. I feel like eyes are on me a lot. And it's something I I really grapple with. And every time I preach, I think, well, I look better in heels, but I want to be someone who's modeling that women don't have to wear heels. And But rather than feeling oppressed by that, I want to try to live into that opportunity and relish the fact that maybe I'm modeling that like I'm a complex person who sometimes wants to straighten my hair and sometimes wants to wear flat shoes. And it's actually an opportunity to try to be my best and most complex self. Casper, after going through this process, do you feel like you have any new thoughts about control? 
what I'm thinking about is the choicefulness that we each have, you know, in the way that Harry shows curiosity as well as a desire to control, you know, in, in the ways that we've thought through with this Lectio experience that, you know, my reflection that we have a choice to look and goggle or we have a choice to to look with respect and curiosity. So I, I'm thinking about actually that control can be a great thing as well because it's about having the choicefulness about how to approach something. And that is a gift. And so I, I'm thinking about the, yeah, the benefits of controlling how we approach life. We don't have to just let it happen. Like we can, we can choose how we engage our experience in some ways. Yeah, there's a real duplicity to control. If you have the instinct to control too much, actually, that instinct is controlling you. And it's because you don't have control, right? That's so interesting. I, I love that. How about you, Vanessa? Are you thinking about control in any other way because of our, our sacred practice today? I think what I'm really coming away with is a new inspiration for the extent to which we can control our hearts and our minds. I I often feel like a victim of circumstance of like the person who's walking slowly in front of me is messing up my whole day because I'm going to be late. But like I am capable of controlling those emotions. And, you know, if Harry can still be kind to Hedwig under this duress, I can still arrive to a meeting in a good mood, even if I get caught behind a slow walker. So I think I'm I'm being called to trying to control my heart more. Thanks, Vanessa. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Michal Tannenbaum. Hi, Casper and Vanessa. I want to start by thanking you for taking this project on and for treating it with so much respect and mindfulness. It's been such a treat to hear you speak of Harry's journey with so much thought. My relationship to Harry is different than most, and I think it'd be good for you to also think about. I lost my father as a month-old baby to a terrorist attack. It was a bombing in Buenos Aires, my hometown, that took 85 lives. Growing up, I knew about it, but I didn't fully understand it until I grew much older. It was around age 10 that I heard the word murder be associated to his death. 
Before, I was not sure how bombs worked. It's weird growing up knowing what evil has done to you and what a stranger's hatred has caused for you. It's weird growing up missing someone you've never met. Harry's undying love for Lily and James reassured me that it was okay for me to miss my dad, even though I had never met him. It was okay for me to mourn the loss, even though I hadn't been aware of it when it first happened. It is okay for me to still struggle with it and to have some PTSD still in me, even though it's been 22 years and again I never met him. I feel a weird connection to Harry due to the nature of our losses, and your invitation to take that connection seriously has been so healing and soothing for me. It's also led me to see Harry's grief with very different eyes. It must be so difficult for him to navigate this world in which so many people he's never met know so much about his parents and remember them so clearly and still grieve for their death. And he just has to take the word for it. When I found out some stuff my dad had said and done that goes totally against what I believe in, I thought of Harry watching James bully Snape. It was so comforting knowing that James Potter wasn't perfect when it came to admitting to myself that my own dad wasn't either. It deepened my connection to this story and this character, and I'm so grateful I had that anchor when everything else I thought I knew was falling apart. Thank you for your words and time. Please keep working on this beautiful project. I appreciate it so much. Mijal, thank you so much for that beautiful story. I think that you've really helped us humanize the depth through which Harry is constantly grieving for James and how his grief has to not just take the form of missing his father, but also of constantly adjusting as he gets new information as to what his perception of his father is. Just thank you so much for enriching all of our readings of these novels through sharing your story. Thank you. Vanessa, it's time to offer a blessing for someone we've encountered in the chapter. Um, I want to offer a blessing for Dobby. He is taking such an enormous risk. You know, he is leaving the house in which he is enslaved. He is willing to risk the harm of others and probably going to harm himself in order to try and warn someone who he has never met, but who he respects so much and who he loves even at a distance. And I think Dobby kind of represents the part in all of us who who wants to reach out and who wants to do the right thing and is brave and courageous and, and willing to take the risk that it will take to do that right but difficult thing. So I, I just want to bless everyone who's listening for that kind of little Dobby part in all of us who's just wanting to reach out and help. How about you, Vanessa? I would like to bless Petunia for a very specific moment. She spends all of this time creating this beautiful pudding and she puts it on top of the refrigerator to like make sure it's safe that is how much she prizes it in fact she was even working on it in the first chapter of the book right like she is really working hard on this pudding and then Dobby breaks the pudding and there's a moment where she reaches into the freezer and takes out some ice cream and I just think that that shows such emotional fortitude, right? She does not break down into tears, which I'm pretty sure I would. She just reaches out for the ice cream. And I want to offer a blessing for people who rise to their best selves when they have a clarity of purpose. She has to be a good hostess, and a good hostess does this thing. And that is what she does. And I just think she must have had to swallow such a bitter pill in that moment. And so I want to say a blessing to sort of women everywhere who have to swallow those bitter pills just in order to get things done. So thank you, Petunia. Amen.
a woman. This has been Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Thank you for listening. Next week, we'll read Chapter 3, The Burrow, through the theme of curiosity. Remember, you can book your ticket to come see us in our first live show in Cambridge, Massachusetts, on Tuesday, 24th of January. Find your tickets at harrypottersacredtext.com. Please subscribe and review on iTunes or wherever you find your podcast, and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. And if you have a voicemail to share with us, please send it to us at Harry Harry Potter sacred text at gmail.com. This episode has been produced by Ariana Nettleman, Casper Turkyle, and me, Vanessa Zoltan. Our social media coordinator is Jen Stark. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are part of the Panoply Network. Thank you to Michelle Tenenbaum for sending us this week's voicemail, to Rebecca and Charlie Ledley, and to Stephanie Purcell. We'll see you next week. Bye. I, one more thing. I'm just going to try this. I turn it around like Bonnie Tyler in the total eclipse of a heart. <laughs> you just looked up and saying that's Turn all. around. Every now and then, then I, I get, get a little bit, bit. something. <laughs>